Well, good morning, everybody. I'm going to stand. It's Cheerios this morning. I'm going to stand down here on the floor. That's okay. Can you guys see me back there? I'm kind of like, yeah, that's a silly question. Yeah, yeah. If I got on my knees, you could probably see me. I could have worked in a circus or a church. Right now it's this, so we never know. Uh, we have partnered in our town with a couple of nonprofits. One is, you know, is Adaptive Sports, and another one is the Gunnison Valley Mentors. And last Saturday night, uh, several of us from our church went over to their big fundraiser, Merriment for Mentoring, and it was a blast. Uh, really fun. They raised a lot of money. How much, Natalie, did $45,000. So really cool. Um, actually, I don't know how many of y'all know one of our members, Tom, back there. Uh, here goes my stomach again. I stand back behind these speakers. And that... uh, Tom was on the dance floor, I hear. Natalie. So Natalie is, is one of the board members there, and so we're super privileged to have her in our body to help us stay connected to that. Steve Morehouse, who helped start this church back in the day, um, is now on the board. And so another great tie for us to that. So I am looking forward to the time very soon when we have two or three people who are mentoring in our body. And then we'll continue to partner with them financially and serving in other ways. Because we as a church need to um, engage the children here that don't have the support or role model. Maybe they do have a role model, but they don't have, um, their parents are working so hard they don't have time to be with them. Whatever the reason is, um, we can fill that gap. And so just so you know, we're looking for that. I, I want to see in a couple of years that we look back and say, oh, I had all these people mentor and all this great stuff happened. So if you want more information on that, please do check with Natalie and Scott or Steve Morehouse. Uh, but next week, in case you're coming down the street, just the building will be blue. Still the same church, everything's the same, just blue. I'm kidding, we're not really going to do that. Uh, <laughs> as awesome as it would be. So we're, we're almost at the end of our series that we're calling Jesus One-on-One. One more time, this, today and one more. This uh, situations in Jesus' life where he's interacted, in his ministry, where he interacted with one person in particular. And... It's been, it's been pretty cool for me studying this and looking ahead because I've noticed other kinds of ways that Jesus has interacted. There's these one-on-ones with all kinds of different people in either small group or large group and interactions with the disciples. And then there's big teaching events, all these different venues where Jesus teaches. And so I, I hope we have several series to go looking at that out in the future. Different ways that Jesus brought the message into our lives that in those days, and now we read about them today. But uh, to this day, we're going to one of the classic one-on-one situations that everybody knows about, and that's the one where Thomas has his encounter with Jesus after the resurrection. And that's in John 20. So if you want to look, if you want to flip over there, if you have your Bible, there's some Bibles up in the, in the seats there, and you're welcome to take one of those, by the way. We use the uh, internet, the, excuse me, the, the uh, 
English Standard Version here, ESV, just, uh, just for your information. It's a pretty darn good translation, and there are other great ones, but that's, that's what we're going to read from actually here. So uh, if you will, I think we'll put it on the wall here and follow along with me. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. What that means is he wasn't with them when Jesus appeared to them the first time after the resurrection. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. And he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. I like this part here. Eight days later, that's the foreshadowing. (laughs) His disciples were inside again, and this time Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, have you believed because you've seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And now Jesus did many signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, and this one, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. Now, sometimes when I'm working on a message and I'm trying to find, you know, what's the main point? What's the main thing that I want to walk away here? What what do I want to say? It's sometimes I have to work at that pretty hard. In this case, verse 31 lays it straight out for us. Very clear. This is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is the main point. That is what this is about. That you may believe and have life. Now, before we get into the main part of the message, I need to spend a minute with you uh, looking at what that main point means. For, For one thing, John is using this interaction with Jesus as a, the apex of the story that he is trying to communicate. All of what John has written, and he hasn't written at all, he says. I didn't write it. In fact, John only writes about 22 days of the life of Jesus. He's selected what he's going to share. But this interaction with Thomas summarizes what he wants us to see that Jesus is the Christ, and by believing in him, you can have life. So I think it's it's important that we ask a couple of questions about that. He says that, I wrote this so that you may believe and you may have life. Well, what, what are we supposed to believe in? Let's be specific about what that is. What is he talking about that this whole book is about? that this story is about? What are we supposed to believe? And it's, it's really very simple. It's what, John, what Thomas discovers, that there is a risen Messiah. 
and that he died a substitutionary death for us and made a relationship with God possible. Okay? That is what he wants us to believe, that there is a risen Messiah, that he died a substitutionary death for you and I, and that he made a relationship with God through that possible. That's what he is calling us to believe. That's why he's written this. But there's another question that we have to ask, and and that's this. What is belief? Now, some of you and a lot of people would say, well, let's not make it hard, Scott. It just says believe. But there are a couple of aspects that I think it's good to to bring out. Uh, the, The first is this, that belief that John is talking about is both intellectual and volitional. It's intellectual and volitional. Have you ever been, uh, and if you haven't, you can picture this. Have you been on a, repel, a repelling trip with a group of people who've never been repelling before? Say so you have 10 people. There are, a, there are certain people in that group that present every time. So when you get up on top of the, the cliff and it's all roped up and set and you have a little speech as a leader with the people and you say, hey, you know, these are the reasons why this is safe. This is how you know that you're secure. This is how we have redundancy planned into this. And it's going to be super exciting when you go over the edge backwards. And there's always like, there's like a little meek girl and she's like, I'm first, you know, and she'll just go right off the, right off the cliff. That's how it always happens. And then, and then it progresses till you get to the last person and the last person's usually like the, the bully of the group, the guy who, you know, could do anything and tell everybody else about it. And he's afraid. And he's assessing all of this and he's watching it happen. And he's, he, he looks and he sees the people go and he sees them come back up to want to go again. And then finally he gets to the edge and he's, he's connected. And it takes a long time for him to back off and experience this this repelling event. And I think that's a pretty good illustration of even maybe even Thomas's situation that there's an intellectual understanding of what's going on. You can see it, you understand it, but you can sit there and watch it or else you can hook yourself, put the harness on and hook yourself in and go over the edge. Do you see what I mean? There is a understanding but there is a volitional act of belief. And that's important for us to get knowing about a resurrection or something you know, out there maybe that happened is not the same as fully putting our faith completely in that. So intellectual and volitional. But there's another thing about belief that I think we all need to understand whether you've crossed that line of faith or not. Uh, and that is that Belief is something that happens one time. You cross the line of belief one time. If you're a believer in here, there's probably times where you, maybe you've been a believer for a while, where you've gone back and said, I'm not sure. Jesus, please be my savior. Please forgive me. And you kind of re, you know, check the box again to be sure. Uh, Anybody done that? Um, (laughs) Crossing the line of faith, of belief, is a one-time event. It's one threshold that you cross one time. You, here, another little illustration. Like, 
you remember when they used to have seesaws at playgrounds? Do they even have those anymore? I, I don't know. I haven't seen one lately, but I, go, I don't know where they went. But uh, I used to love the seesaw. And when you'd show up at the playground alone, you, could get on, you, know, you couldn't ride it by yourself. But what would you do? You would walk across it, right? Or I did. And <laughs> as long as, a, as it was a big, wide plank. And so you would, you would walk up, and you would get to the top, and then there'd be this moment where you would balance, and then you would go over to the other side, right? And kind of would hit real hard, and you'd try to stay on, and you'd go out there. And then, of course, the bully in the neighborhood would show up, and he'd get on the other side, and he'd pull it up, and you'd be way up there standing, you know. So probably some of you have experienced this before, just before breaking your arm. Uh, <laughs> but when, when you're the bully of doubt comes <laughs> when you've already gone across the threshold of faith, of belief, and he stands on the other side or she, and you are up here wondering, oh my gosh, did, did this happen? Am I, am I saved? Is, was this a one-time thing? You know, or, or am I, what's going on with my faith? I don't know. Jesus says that, and the whole scripture says that once we cross over we're in a permanent relationship with him. The way Jesus describes it is that he puts us in his hand and then God's hand is over that. So try to get out, okay? Another way is, is uh, John even says, you may have life in his name. In other words, now you are in his family. You are a part of, you are in his name. It's by him, not by you. Not by the things that happen over here. Think about this for a second. When, when you are exploring or when you explored stepping into faith with Jesus Christ, belief you were, you were doubtful, you were wondering, you were questioning, you were saying, okay, is this true? And you had sin in your life that needed to be cleaned up by Christ so you could know God. And then you cross over by belief onto this other side. And then you have doubts and you have sin. You have the same stuff going on on both sides, right? Because we're still human. We're still in the flesh. It's not about us in that sense. It's about what he has done. When, when you were on this side, uh, Jesus died for your sin and your doubt and everything that is in your life and just the fact that you're a human and have inherited sin from Adam. And when you crossed over, he had died for those things as well. It wasn't just the stuff back here. Past, present, and future, okay? So I could, I had doubt, are, do, are the doubts over here going to have an impact on moving me back that way? No, because when, when I moved across the threshold of belief, all of those things were taken away, past, present, and future, in terms of the penalty, the broken relationship with God. We are now adopted, we have his last name, we are in his family never to be removed from that. And, and I'll just ask you one more question. Is, can you sin, really, more than the blood of Christ can forgive? I mean, think about it for a second. Can you outdo his sacrifice? Some of us have tried. <laughs> I'm not naming names. 
I, you're just. <laughs> I didn't want to look at Vince. I just. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and one last piece of this is about belief in life is, is what does he mean by life? What is this thing that's being promised? And just, just briefly, uh, belief in Christ is completely connected. Uh, it's, I don't know if this is the right word, but since they're symbiotic. They live together. They're completely enmeshed 100% belief in life. Because when we cross over that threshold of belief, we enter into new life in Christ. And that's what this baptism event is going to celebrate. That new life that when you come out of that water, new life, it's a symbol of that. Now, we don't all live there. A lot of times we live way up high, worried. But the truth is that we have new life in Christ. And it's not only new life here, but it is because we have permanent souls forever. Those We are completely secure in him going forward in death or life. All right, so that's the main point that you may believe and you may have life in his name. Now, just as in, by, ways of applica- by way of application, if you have not crossed that threshold before, that's okay. We definitely want you to be here and hear this. Um, I want to encourage you, like Thomas, to look at Christ. And if you have already crossed that threshold, uh, perhaps this is a time to get reacquainted a little bit with who Jesus is and what he's done to reacquaint yourself with the risen Christ. So think about that as we walk through just a couple of things. Uh, Three things in this passage that I want to point out. Uh, There is a proposition, there's validation, and there's transformation in this story of what happens with Thomas. There's a proposition, there's a validation, and there's transformation. So let's talk about that proposition. A proposition is something that someone says that we have to interact with and decide if it's true or not. That's a proposition. I say something, you decide, is this right or not? And the statement comes from the 12. Look at uh, verse 24. Now Thomas and the 12, called the twin, wasn't with them when Jesus came the first time. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. You have to picture that scenario just a second because, you know, these people are in this room, they hear, they see Jesus, they're convinced, they're blown away. Life has completely changed for them. They are believers now. They knew him before, they believe, but now they are Christians. Okay? Big change right here. So I don't know how long it was before they found Thomas, but I bet it wasn't very long. Okay? Now you've got to picture these guys, all their different personalities that we know about. They find Thomas, they're still laying low because they're afraid, because they're in Jerusalem, and they corner him somewhere, and they're like, we saw Jesus! And Thomas, is, well, you, you heard Thomas's reply to them. Uh-uh. But can you see them trying to convince him? You know, John's like, you know, he's the soft guy. He's like, oh, you know, he was really there, dude. You know, I, I'm not sure. But John's always like the, reclining over on Jesus and all this stuff. And then you, got, then you got Peter. He's like, you want what? You know, can you just see Peter getting in his face? You know, because now Peter's starting to change. You know, things are changing for him. 
So they're all in their different ways. You know, Matthew, the tax collector, he's probably like, well, look at the number. Let's, count, let's figure out, let's see, let's prove this to you. Now, I don't know what they're doing, but there are all these personalities interacting with Thomas. And he's like, I will never believe unless I put my hand in his side. That's pretty gross. You know, he wants a really visceral experience of touching Jesus and knowing that this really happened. I will not believe, never. In fact, the Greek there is pretty interesting. I don't usually bring that up, but the way that they put it together, it's like, it really means never. It's very strong. It's a, a very uh, concrete way that he was saying, I'm not going there unless these things happen. And I, I love the way uh, Tim Keller addresses this. And so I want to share with you briefly. He basically says, and makes it real clear, there is no Christianity without a risen Christ. Okay? It, it is not without that. And so the thing that he does that I love, because he, he, the way he does this is, uh, I just, in fact, if you want to find his message on Thomas, I think it'd be great for you. But he says, uh, he asked the question that, that people typically ask as modern skeptics today. Well, you know, what, why wasn't, well, wasn't it okay for him just to be a good teacher and a great man? A, a game changer in the history of the world, right? People do that. So why wasn't that him? You know, he's just a good guy, a great teacher, and maybe even healed some people somehow, you know, a great, a great medic. That's fine to ask that question. But the Bible says there is no Christianity without a risen Christ. Okay? Just for a second, think about this. Who, which one of those disciples would die because Jesus had good teaching? You know, they're in the room, they're like, my, it was so neat how he told us that, he cared, that God cares more about us than the birds. And then he went off and got killed. Let's change the world. Let's sacrifice ourselves for that. That doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, think about these guys in the room. These are mostly uneducated guys, fishermen. No offense, anybody in here? (laughs) This personal today, dude. (laughs) When you look back at who changed the world other than these guys... They didn't look like these guys. And if you're a skeptic, welcome. You're not alone. Thomas was with you. But these guys, you go out and give up their lives, everything about everything that they were, for Jesus, and they wouldn't have done it because he was nice. Or he taught them good things. There, There is no Christianity without the resurrection. And that's why we have to believe if we're going to cross over. Now, so that's, that's the proposition. The thing is that there, there is this thing each one of us has to do with because the claim has been made. There is a risen living Savior that was put to death. Okay, that's the proposition. The validation, though, comes, of course, with Jesus. And I, I like, uh, first I want to look at, at what Thomas lays down is the, 
the requirements for validation because he has some pretty significant ones, right? In John 20, in verse 25, we've seen the Lord, but he said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, they're together again. They're in the room. The door's locked. And they're, they've been in this position before. And I, I like to think about this like this, where uh, when, the, when the disciples, the, 11, the, the other guys were trying to convince Thomas about Jesus being there, Thomas is imagining in his mind what it would have been like, right? Think about it. You would have done the same thing. You know the room. You know what you would have envisioned about what they were saying. Okay, he came in. He showed himself to them. They all like touched him. They were like, oh, this is amazing. They gave him a hug. He's, he pictures all of that. Well, here they are in the situation. Again, this time Thomas is with them. And this time when Jesus appears, he says, Hey guys, peace be with you. And then he turns straight to Thomas, just Thomas. And he responds almost word for word to Thomas's concern, to his list. I'm, I'm, wondering, uh, I'm wondering what that felt like to Thomas. To, because it's one of those times where um, Jesus does that, I know, I know what you were thinking thing. He wanted those physical proofs. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't crossed over that that line, uh, that threshold, Thomas is a great example. I I think you should uh, test the ropes. I think you should be bold and say, God, I need you to prove yourself to me. Why not? What have you got to lose? Can he not do it? See what happens. Just try it. If you're close and you're looking and you're thinking about it, just say, Lord, I'm not going to believe unless you do this. And I wouldn't say that except that Thomas did it. God's not afraid of your concern or your intellect or anything else or mine. So, so ask him. It might take time. I don't know what will happen, but be bold. And so let me encourage you with that. But if you do, be ready for what he will do to show you. Think about it. Um, because then we have that little foreshadowing moment eight days later. Because... Here's the things I'm not going to believe, but then one week, and Jesus is there, and he validates himself. And you know, you can, you can see Thomas in this, seeing this, these things unfold exactly like he had desired them to. He, could, he pictured this whole thing already, and here it is happening. Although the door, this is in verse 26, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And he turns to Thomas, put your finger here, and put it in your hand here, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve. I know your doubts. I know what you wanted, and here it is. And what he's showing Thomas is that he is the resurrected Messiah. He's not showing him that he's a good teacher. He didn't come in and say, hey, remember what I told you guys about those good things you should do? No, he says, I'm the Messiah. I'm resurrected. This is real. I'm truly alive. But I think it's interesting that the last, the thing he says to Thomas, he says, don't disbelieve, but believe. Think about that for a second. Even in Jesus' presence with the scars, and Thomas, I don't think Thomas touches him then, 
But even right there, Jesus still says, believe. Even with Jesus standing right in front of him, resurrected, alive, all the other guys believing, Thomas still needs to be told by Jesus, believe. That, that act of belief in a risen Messiah is something that is your decision. You have to decide to do it. He's not going to do it for you. That's another beauty of Christianity. No one's forcing you. It is up to you to decide to cross over. And he doesn't do it. He says, Thomas, it's time for you to believe. But even with Jesus right in front of him, he could have chosen not to. And that's why I think it's so cool that Jesus says right after that, blessed are those who believe but haven't seen me. That's all of us if you know Jesus. So there's a proposition that gets validated by Jesus and then transformation. And just briefly, this is pretty cool, I think, uh, this new life that begins for Thomas. Look at verse 28. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. He is, by belief, uh, intellectually and volitionally stepped over the line of faith. And I love the words, the exact words that he uses. You're my Lord. You're the one I'm going to follow. You're my God. I'm going to worship you. Totally puts himself in the place that we need to be as believers. That's, that's it. But I love the fact that he says, my Lord and my God. It's very personal to him. God came, Jesus, as God came straight to him. Thomas is Jesus and Jesus is Thomas. And Thomas's life is transformed. He now has the new life that John is talking about. So, uh, just to, to conclude, um, perhaps you're like Thomas. Um, you've been asking God to show himself to you and Maybe it's time for you to do that. I want to encourage you to do that and to be bold and to anticipate what's going to happen. And then you'll be free to make the decision. And if you are a believer, I, just, I hope that you'll walk away encouraged because you have believed and you have new life because you have a resurrected Savior. And that's the thing that would empower us and encourage us. Not just good teaching, that's great. But because there is a real risen Savior proven by the lives of the disciples as they acted out their faith. So I'm going to pray and we'll just go to God with this together. Father, I, I just am I'm thankful for the, uh, the summary, um, apex of the discussion and illustrations that that John gives to us. Um, and Lord, I thank you for the bold doubt of Thomas because I believe, Lord, it gives freedom to people uh, like us who are skeptics and who doubt and who need you to show up. And so I pray that you would for anyone who doubts and for those of us who, are, who have followed you, Lord, let us um, be reminded again that we can uh, have the joy of, of stepping over that cliff and ex- experiencing the excitement of knowing you. Uh, the full life and the confidence that you have, uh, you have provided for us. So, Lord, we, we bring these things before you. In Jesus' name, amen. What will be left when I've drawn my last breath? Besides the folks I met and the folks who know me 
Will I discover a soul-saving love Or just the dirt beneath and below me I'm a doubting Thomas I took a promise But I do not feel safe Oh, me of a little faith Sometimes I pray for a slap in the face Then I beg to be spared cause I'm a coward If there's a master of death I bet he's holding his breath As I show the blind and tell the deaf about his power I'm a doubting Thomas can't keep my promises Cause I know nothing's safe Oh, me of a little faith I'm a doubting Thomas I'll take your promises Though I know nothing's safe Oh, me of little faith. Will you go out in the grace and love of our God who is not afraid of your unbelief, who is not afraid of your questions, who is not afraid of your doubt, but a God who can overcome all of that? Have a great day, you guys. What's up? How's it going? <laughs>